So we're going to resume from chapter 39, verse 20, and read through chapter 40. So it's Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse 20 on page 44 of the Pew Bibles. Let's remember that this is God's Word. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days... Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. 
Amen. Um, folks, you might want to have um, your Bibles open. Um, we're just working our way through those chapters in Genesis. Uh, Monty was reading for us from the latter part of chapter 39 and then chapter 40. It's good to be back in this series. It's four weeks since I last did anything in it because the other guys were preaching and then last week we had our, our BB and GB. So um, good, good to be back. How's it going with you today? All good? Living the dream? Uh, we're laughing because uh, I think we know that it's a, a rare enough occasion whenever everything is going well. I hope, I hope there are many who are saying yes. I'm going to guess many of us are are probably not quite there. Maybe you're in the so-so, you know, some good, some bad. Um, life, I, I think most of the time, um, most of us live somewhere in there, some good, some bad. And some of us are living the nightmare, aren't we? Hopefully not too many of us, but some are. I know because you've told me in some cases. I know because I know a little of your circumstances and even if we haven't talked about it, I'd be aware of that. Or I, I know it simply because in a crowd of this size, there, there will always be some people who are living through dark and difficult times. I wonder if God might have something for us this morning in his word. I hope he does. My sense is that he does. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Anybody heard that before? Hands up. I think it used to be a phrase that knocked around churches a little bit. Um, I don't know if you know where it comes from, comes from uh, Julian of Norwich, a uh, Benedictine nun of the 14th century. Uh, she wrote at great length about the goodness of God in, in a book in particular where you can capture a lot of this, uh, Revelations of Divine Love. She was writing at a time, you know, sometimes I think we imagine that, that our times, these chaotic, difficult times that we live in, are the first chaotic, difficult times that the world has known. But, but even just a quick glance back through church and world history tells us that that's not true. Uh, Julian lived in a time of great social unrest. Uh, the Black Plague had ravaged its way through England. Uh, she herself suffered a nearly fatal disease uh, at about the age of 30. But in her day, the, the message that she spoke and wrote spoke to so many people around her. Just as our flesh is covered by clothing and our blood is covered by our flesh, so are we, body and soul, covered and enclosed by the goodness of God. The clothing and the flesh will pass away, but the goodness of God will always remain and will remain closer to us 
than our own flesh. She had an unshakable confidence in the goodness of God. The text we've read this morning that Monty read for us doesn't talk explicitly, it doesn't say Joseph was confident in the goodness of God. Uh, but as, as he introduced the last song, Monty pointed out that, that this must have been where Joseph's heart and his mind were. That like Job, in, in spite of difficult circumstances, he had an unshakable confidence in the goodness of God. He'd been abducted by his brothers. He'd been trafficked into slavery in a foreign country. But it was this goodness, this confidence in the goodness of God that kept him going, enabled him to witness for God as a slave. Uh, we thought about that a couple of weeks ago. And then to stand also, uh, his, his sense of God's presence with him, I think, his sense of wanting to honor God will have helped him to face that, that temptation which we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, with Potiphar's wife. So as we say, uh, as we've just seen in our reading, uh, Joseph's ended up now in prison. And it's, it's ju- this is just awful. You try to do the right thing, you resist the temptation, and, and the outcome is that you're falsely accused and imprisoned. Surely that would do it for you. Surely that would be the final nail in the coffin. Surely you'd be sure that God isn't good and that he's not for you and that you need to find another way to think about your life. It's not what the narrative tells us. Chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. It's getting a bit repetitive, isn't it? The Lord was with him. No matter what his circumstances, no matter how difficult they appeared to be, uh, the narrator just keeps telling us that the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Actually, if you read on in the text, it says not only that the Lord was with him, but also that others could see it. And that's the point that we were making with the kids here at our all-age service last week. Verse 21, the Lord showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes. It's all about the seeing, in the eyes of the prison warder. History repeats itself. He's sent into Potiphar's household and Potiphar and the, the, those in his household can see God in him. And now, and he's promoted and he's made put in charge of Potiphar's household. Now he's put in prison. People can see who he is and he's promoted till he's effectively in charge of the prison. Folks, I don't want you to miss this. I, I've thought about this Joseph narrative for years uh, um, in teaching various places. For me, the headline, I, I used to think it was all about this God with you. You know, no matter how difficult your circumstances, God is with you. And, and of course, that's, that's there. But the story goes further than that. It's, it's God is with you so that other people can see it. God is with me and people can see it. That's what we can't help but notice this time around. Folks, sometimes it feels like this stuff, I don't know if it's it's only me, but sometimes it feels like this stuff, yeah, um, Potiphar's household sees it promoted, uh, the prison sees it promoted. 
that kind of thing happens in Bible stories. It doesn't happen in real life. It's not how my workplace works. A few months ago, I was in the company of a young man from this congregation, and I just heard him tell a little bit about his experience of starting a new job. I've only been in the job for a short time. Already bosses and senior members of staff are coming to me and asking for my view of things and seeking my advice. He wasn't boasting. This guy's as humble a person as you could hope to meet. As I heard him speak, I just thought, there it is. That's Joseph, isn't it? The people around see and they're drawn to the Spirit of God. Folks, all of this reminds me of, of something that we thought about here a few years ago uh, when we had a series uh, we conducted, if you remember, Fruitfulness on the Front Lines. We were thinking about the lots of different ways in which we can manifest the presence of God's Spirit in us in, in our workplaces, places where people can see it. And if we pop up the slide, we'll remind you of the, the six M's, as we called them back then. Uh, there they are. Just thought I'd pop that up as a trigger. This was a really helpful uh, series for a lot of people. They told me so at the time. Um, maybe, it, like everything, these things recede from our memories. I, I had a quick look at that and I thought, I wonder, could a tick, Joseph, could have put a tick beside any of those? Uh, from what I read in the narrative. Uh, and I soon came to the, the conclusion I could probably tick all of them by the time I finish reading the story. This is why Joseph is catching the eye of the people all around him. Got me thinking this week, um, all this stuff, a bit of a, a crazy thought. I was imagining conversations in the higher echelons of Hebrew society where Potiphar's, I don't know, he's out for a pint with his mates and they're having a chat and, and he's saying to them, He's telling them about what's happened in his household. I've got this new manager. He's a Hebrew slave. He's amazing. Ever since we've got him, the place runs like clockwork. He, he's, he's trustworthy to a T. He, he couldn't lie if he tried. Everything he does works. Actually, fellas, you want to get yourself one of these? One of these Hebrew slaves? And the fellows are saying, well, where do we get one? Where do we get somebody like that? I'm picturing then employers in Belfast, people who employ Christian people, and they're saying to themselves, where do I get another one? Where do I get another person like her? Or another one like him? Can you imagine if our city was full of employers or people leading any kind of a community where they're saying the Christians are like, they're just, I don't know why, but they're just the best people in this group. Where do I get another one? Where do I get more of them? Wouldn't that be brilliant? 10 years a slave. You remember the movie not so long ago, 12 years a slave? Uh, by the time he's set free, uh, Joseph will have been a slave and a prisoner for 13 years. At the point we're at in the story, it's probably 10 or 11 years that he's been a, a slave and now a prisoner. Can you imagine how, 
how we might feel, how we might live in those circumstances. At the beginning of chapter 40, um, as I say, he's been a, a prisoner for 10 years. And, and the story just tells, uh, the, the chapter just tells the story of two of Pharaoh's closest employees, his cupbearer who, who kept his wine and the, the baker who put his food on the table. It, it looks like something's gone wrong with the wine and the food because these guys end up in prison. I think if you have a, maybe, maybe if you have a, a bad, make a few bad choices for the, the seller or a couple of recipes don't work out, bang, that's you. Um, it's probably not a very forgiving culture. So these guys have ended up in prison because they've displeased Pharaoh. And, and we're told that they, they both have dreams and that they're dejected. There's something there that we might not quite get. Um, and that's because we don't place the same... Uh, importance on our dreams as they would have in the ancient Egyptian culture. So if we have a dream, we either don't remember it or pay any attention to it at all, or else we, we quickly move on from it. But in Egypt, you had this idea that if you had a dream, that it had a predictive power. It, it told you about your future. So if you had a, a dream uh, as a, an ancient Egyptian, you just didn't just pour your bowl of cornflakes and crack on with your day. You, you needed to stop and work out what your dream meant. And if you couldn't work out what your dream meant, you were troubled by that. So these guys are troubled, dejected, the text says, because they can't work out what their dream means. I, I think this simple interaction of these two Egyptian prisoners uh, with Joseph reveals a lot about who Joseph is. He saw that they were dejected. Joseph's been in prison for, you know, put, put yourself again in that, in that prison. The guy who's been there for 10 or 11 years, every reason to feel jaded, despondent, sorry for himself. A couple of guys arrive fresh in and they're, they're sad because they can't work out what their dream means. You might think, well, who would have any sympathy for them? Joseph does. He sees that they're dejected. He's attentive enough and unselfish enough to notice the needs of others. He didn't miss their heartache. I don't know if you can remember what we said in the opening sermon in this series when we were sort of setting things up a bit. We said that the way this narrative's written, we should expect to see that Joseph is a type of Christ. That means when you, you, you read about Joseph, he, he gets you thinking about Jesus. And I think this might be one of those moments. Time and time again, we're told in the gospel accounts that when Jesus saw suffering people, His heart went out to them. He had sympathy for them. He had compassion on them, we're told. Whenever he saw people in need of guidance, whenever he felt that they were lost, he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he was willing to offer himself as a guide to them. Folks, as we follow Jesus, as we hope to see his character formed in us, it's just another thing that we could hope to cultivate. Uh, a sensitivity to the suffering of others. 
our friends and our colleagues, our neighbors. These hurts, whenever we see them, they provide us with opportunities to connect. It's not an easy world to connect in anymore. Everybody's running around doing the I'm okay thing. But occasionally people do show that they're hurt. Chance to demonstrate God's love. As soon as Joseph discovers the problem with these men, he points them to the answer. He says, don't worry, you're, you're away here from all the usual dream interpreters. That industry isn't available to you here in prison. But don't worry about it because God interprets dreams. Tell me your dreams and I'll tell you what they mean. It's quite interesting. I hadn't really thought of this as much um, because I was reading ahead in the story a bit. There, there are more dreams to come. So what we have here is Joseph, the guy who started dreaming, is now going to become the guy who hears and interprets other people's dreams. But the interesting thing for me is that he doesn't do it in his own strength. Immediately and naturally, he says, well, God interprets dreams. We'll see this time and time again in Joseph's life. He refuses to make himself the answer to other people's problems. Gives God the glory. He says, God interprets dreams. He refuses to take for himself the credit that belongs to God. Folks, we don't need to dwell too long on the the content of these dreams. Both of them regarded their future, the cupbearer's restoration, the impending doom uh, for the baker. Joseph just spoke honestly uh, and clearly to them about their fate as God had revealed it to them. Maybe it's because I'm a preacher, but I, I was really struck by Joseph's integrity at this point. He was willing to speak the good news. Everybody loves to be able to share good news, but also to speak the bad news. As well as giving God's word to the the cupbearer, the message that he would be so glad to hear, his honesty required him to give a, a much more difficult message to the baker. Sometimes you get to say people the things that you know they're gonna like you for going to give a feel-good factor, make sure the love washes back to you. And sometimes we have to say things that won't bring that response simply because they're true. In my experience, uh, many people shy away from this part of the call to be Christ-like. Many people will will choose to go through life probably never speaking a difficult word. They'd rather be seen to be nice. They'd rather maintain their own popularity. If illness is going to be diagnosed, if it's going to be named so that a treatment can be sought for it, somebody else will have to do that because they're unwilling to. It strikes me that I want to be like Joseph in this regard. I want to speak 
all the truth as much as I possibly can. Whether in the moment it sounds like good news or not. Folks, you, you will know this. You will know if you know this story of Scripture at all that not everything that God says to us sounds like good news. Certainly not all the time. The Bible teaches things that sound awful. And we need to hear them. The Bible teaches clearly that everyone has sinned. That means if I do a head count and discover that there are 212 of us sitting in these pews just now, that means I have to say that 212 of us sin and are sinners. That's what God's Word teaches. And it's bad news. And the Bible teaches that God can't look on sin. That means if, if the 212 of us are as I as, as the Bible teaches we are, that means he can't even look at us. He's appalled by what he sees in us. That's the truth about who we are. And therefore, God's judgment hangs on not some of us, but 212 of us. And that's bad news. So folks, as the one charged with bringing God's word to you here today, I, I don't want to shy away from telling you that. If you're here this morning and you're in any, any doubt about that, I, there it is. I, I've shared it with you this morning. Every last one of us, sinful, under the judgment of the living God, and lost, entirely lost, So there's the bad news. I love my job because I get to teach the good news. Do you know the good news? It's while every last one of us has sinned, 212 out of 212 of us, it puts us in a beautiful place. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. <laughs> 212 out of 212 of us get to, get to be there. None of us is ruled out. He came for us. He came for you. And while we know that our sin incurs God's wrath on us, we can be forgiven. 212 out of 212 of us, every last one. I, I don't know what you're carrying that you still think can't be forgiven. That's why he came to do the cleanup, to mop out the muck. That's why he came. Folks, we know that the judgment of God on sin is eternal death. It's separation from him. It just, means, it just means all the goodness sucked out of life forever. 
That's what the judgment of God is. And the beautiful news is that Jesus came to give what? Eternal life. To put all the goodness back in forever. That's the glorious news of the gospel. Folks, the bad news in this story is only ever a prelude. It's only the backdrop, but it's an important backdrop, and I won't shy away from sharing it with you. Because it's whenever we see the backdrop, the darkness in, our, in the world and in our lives, that the glorious light of the gospel shines. Folks, if ever you'd like to talk with me about any of the things that I've said here this morning or or just how you can get from being in the darkness into the light, from, from being under God's judgment to being out of it. Come and talk to me. There's nothing that I would want to talk to you more about, about how to come from death to life. Just tell me today. Tap me on the shoulder on your way out. Uh, text me, send me an email. Say, we need to talk, and we'll talk, and we'll do it very, very soon. Folks, Joseph spoke the word of God. God gave him the interpretations. He spoke it to these Egyptian prisoners. And we don't have to wait too long to see, you know, I always think if somebody tells you, interprets a dream, the big question is, well, did he get it right? Did he, you know, is the interpretation true? Three days later, we discover that, that they were true. The cupbearer, is restored to his position, and the baker is hanged. Verse 22, just as Joseph has said. Joseph has been, it's another one of those moments in the narrative where I'm thinking, it's, that's it, it's time. Joseph, get, Lord, get him out of prison. You know, he's done his time, get him out. He had had that conversation with the, the guys. He had said, make sure you, you remember me. Joseph's been faithful to God. His predictions have come true. Everything's going swimmingly until the final verse of the chapter. We're told there, and, and like, your heart just sinks. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This amnesia is catastrophic. Do you know what it means? We know it because the text gives us a few dates. Two or three more years. Just like that. Because the guy forgets. This cupbearer was his only possible means of escape and the result of his forgetfulness. Two or three more years in prison. Folks, I wonder are we beginning to learn the lessons of God's word here? Are we? We've been saying time and time again throughout this story that God is with us, God is with us, God is with us. But we've been reflecting as well on how difficult Joseph's circumstances are. And today as we come to the end of this story, we discover that it, it's going on. Joseph's circumstances haven't changed. Is, is your work life killing you now, today? It doesn't mean God's not with you. 
family life stretching you to the limit and beyond? If you're sure that Christ is with you, if you're sure of that goodness of God that clothes you, then you can go on. Joseph would gladly have left uh, with those two fellows. He'd gladly have gone out of that cell on the, the cupbearer's heels, but it wasn't to be. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't God's time. 